Welcome to Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Lyons. On this episode, we're going to be talking to a couple guys from the band Run Into the Sun from Salt Lake City, Utah. As always, make sure you follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Enterprise Hardcore Podcast, on Twitter at Podcast Hardcore. Uh, as always, there's a couple ways you can directly support the podcast. Uh, I have the Patreon set up for uh, monthly people uh, as low as a dollar per month. Uh, like I've been teasing for as long as I can remember, I'm going to have a lot of content coming real soon for you guys. Definitely uh, early and bonus content on there because I have so many interviews planned that I don't know how to start releasing all this content. So you guys are going to get some of it for sure. Uh, and there's also the GoFundMe because like I've been saying for a while, I want to uh, do a lot of video content with this. Uh, I have all the other equipment, but just not all the video stuff. So if people want to support that, the, uh, the link is in the show notes. Uh, so yeah, this is episode 93. Like I was saying to my guests before we started recording, I think it's kind of cool because in the last few months, I've kind of inadvertently started doing like, uh, I guess you could say like an oral history of Syracuse hardcore and like they obviously have a very influential scene, especially with the straight edge movement in the 90s. And when I got to talking to one of my guests before we started getting ready to do the interview today, he kind of mentioned that they had a lot of history in, in, their, in their scene in Salt Lake City. And I didn't realize that. And obviously, there's a lot of parallels, in my opinion, with uh, Salt Lake City and Syracuse in the 90s. So we're going to be talking a lot about that before we talk about their current band. Uh, like I said, the band's called Run Into the Sun, and we're going to have uh, Dan who sings for that band, and Chase, who plays bass. Uh, we're going to bring on Dan first. How's everything going for you tonight, Dan? So good. Excited to geek out about hardcore. Yeah, it's always a good time. It's definitely my favorite part about doing this. It's as much, it's as much fun for me as it is for the interviewees, uh, usually. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah. And, and yeah, Chase, how's everything going for you tonight, man? It's good, man. Happy to be on here. Yeah, like I said... Uh, when so when Dan kind of hit me up about doing the interview, I had kind of assumed that you guys weren't like young dudes because usually when bands hit me up about being interviewed, they're not like high school or college age; they're at least like in their thirties. So I assumed you guys were probably like around that age. But then today, Dan started telling me that you guys kind of came up around the same time as me, but in Salt Lake City. And like I was saying in the intro, there's a lot of parallels between Salt Lake City and Syracuse. Uh, with the straight edge and a lot of the other uh, extracurricular activities that came along with that in the 90s. Sure. Um, so I think we'll be talking a lot about that, obviously. I don't know which one of you guys wants to kind yeah. of start first with this, but I think usually I, I talk about like upbringing and stuff like that. But since there's like two of you guys and I want to talk about a lot of stuff tonight, maybe we'll just kind of fast forward. And, and uh, Dan, if you want to start, I guess, uh, just kind of talk about like kind of how you started finding hardcore. And I'm sure a lot of the the, like the media stuff that came into play will, will uh, come into the conversation too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. Cause the, like I, I met Chase when we were literal kids going to hardcore shows in Salt Lake. Um, so yeah, we're still in our thirties, but we were like, I, I mean, I'm a couple of years older than Chase and I, he's probably like 15 when we met or something like that. Yeah. Somewhere around. Um, so that era was really special, but for me, I kind of feel like I was born at a really good time. I was born in 1984. I had like Nirvana and Beastie Boys and that led to like Rage Against the Machine and Wu-Tang. Um, but my mom liked all that stuff. Like we would listen to that stuff in the car on alternative radio. So I was always looking for something. And growing up in the suburbs of Salt Lake <clears throat> in the mid 90s, you started hearing about hardcore through all the straight edge and hardline and, and animal rights <clears throat> 
content in the media. Um, so like naturally like see flyers and stuff back then you see, you catch zines, but the first time I ever saw earth crisis was on the clip on America's most wanted when they covered Salt Lake city and they had like a live clip of them playing ultra militants. And I was like, Whoa, my mom would not fuck with that. Like <laughs> I need to figure out more about that. Um, and it was just cool at the same time. Cause in Salt Lake, you're very on point about Syracuse and Salt Lake because we had lifeless out in 95. It was like vegan straight edge death metal, like trying to be the most evil version of that possible. Um, and the bands that came out of that, like clear trip hammer climb. So for me, it was kind of like, I found this thing that was like even like intense enough to scare my mom. And it was right in my backyard. So I just started trying to go to every show possible. Chase, what was your intro? Uh, I mean, I kind of stemmed off, like I kind of started off more kind of in the punk punk side of things. Um, it's funny. It's, I met my friend, George, you remember George, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he started introducing me to all these bands, like, you know, like AFI and, you know, then that kind of led to uh, fat bands and then epitaph and, uh then my buddy lane i was uh we're just in this shitty punk band when we were in in eighth grade he's like hey my brother's playing a show it's a hardcore show i'm like automatically i was just fucking terrified man (laughs) just the word and uh i went to this first show it was it was uh lane's brother's band kane it was called i think it was called the wake but then they had just changed their name to compile it it was just like this crazy ass like tech metal stuff and then it was at this place called blue cats in uh sugar house utah it's kind of like a subsidiary of downtown and i went i went there there were people like climbing under the tables moshing into shit and i was terrified and yeah that was kind of my intro and then it just all kind of branched off from there and started my own bands and it got a little less scary. <laughs> I remember compile it. It was like, uh, sort of like the children of Dillinger escape plan at that time. Yeah. Like everybody it, was trying like to... every city had like a version of that. Yeah. And they did, they did that. Well, they've like, those members have gone on to do amazing bands since I love that part of the history. Right. It always like your favorite band today was in like the craziest hardline band. In 99 right. Or something. Right. Yeah, even dudes from Fallout Boy have connections to all that. Yeah, you know, I saw. I feel like I saw at least one of. The, I definitely saw Race Trader back in the day, and I feel like I saw. I might have seen Extinction too. I'm not sure, but now Chase, you kind of said something that I was thinking about uh, when Dan was talking about his introduction to the scene because I know like Syracuse and Salt Lake City. Again, I'm not trying to c- compare both the cities the whole episode, but obviously I live so close to Syracuse, it'll make people more, you know, have the connection. But what I'm getting at is those two scenes are more known for like the like metallic hardcore like you guys have been talking about but chase you kind of said you came more from the punk scene and i kind of did too when i got into hardcore but within a couple years i don't want to say i started shitting on punk but like i wasn't really trying to associate with any of the liberty like people or anything like that anymore like so like when you found hardcore did the same thing happen to you or did you kind of still like go to some punk shows too no it, it, i kept it in my back pocket but i mean all my friends like that i was associated with it was all hardcore that's all i was surrounded by i'm grateful for it but um yeah i mean i've always had you know a place on the corner in my heart for 
what I grew up on, but there definitely was a long time where it was strictly, you know, hardcore bands, but, um, yeah, I didn't yeah, really, nice if anything now, like some of the hardcore bands I used to listen to, I probably shit on, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, yeah, that's, that's, a. I got, I mean, I definitely like have the same fondness. I have yeah. the same fondness for having grown up on all that punk stuff. And I think for me, it's more like the nihilistic attitude of a lot of those people kind of turned me off to that whole scene. And then mm-hmm. like finding hardcore and you see like, not to get cliche, but you see a scene where they're actually kind of about making a change, yeah. you know? And like, I, and I, I guess that kind of brings the point, the whole vegan thing, because like we, I was telling Dan before the interview that we had orientation for our preschool tonight and here we are like 25 years later, I have to explain to our teacher or well, my girlfriend does, but I don't really do much of the talking, but that our son is, is vegan because we're raising our kids vegan. And like that, to me, I've, I've talked about that in here a lot. Like that is about making a change because like I, but the vegan yeah. thing I definitely get, I got from hardcore. Um, so were there things that you guys were noticing right away? Like I know, Dan, you kind of referenced like the straight edge thing and like hardline, like were there things that you guys saw? Like we'll get to the crazy shit obviously too, but like were there, like, like what I guess what really drew you to hardcore aside from the music, if anything? Sure. I mean, I think that was a big part of it. Just like growing up in a place like Utah, that's so extreme. You know, you've got this super dominant, super conservative religion. And whether you're a part of it or not, it's you're surrounded by it. And all of the implicit racism and misogyny and classism, like it's just all on display for you. So, you know, the. I think in punk, you find that kind of edge, but with hardcore, you know, the bands that we started playing in, um, it was really, really driven by being a part of an activist community, at least for me. Um, And so I think that that was, that was probably the thing for me that pulled me into that scene more is that I felt like in Salt Lake, um, the nihilism of punk was like definitely there, but like hardcore kids really gave a fuck. Like when it came to protesting, when it came to um, even like it it got too extreme at times with direct action. And like there was a lot of negative shit that happened, you know, in the late 90s. But but it was like people who really, truly wanted to change something. I think that's what still keeps me involved in it. Like that's what Run Into the Sun is. You know, it's 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 a band that, it you know, wants to fuck with people's perceptions of what's good and bad and you know continue to provocate well i mean i i i don't think it's that often that you find a hardcore band referring to themselves as protest music you know what i mean <laughs> so I, I definitely caught that that caught my eye when i was digging into you guys a little bit too and i mean that that side of 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 hardcore and punk definitely uh was important to me as as a youth and and even as an adult now i mean we were going to all sorts of different kinds of protests and rallies back then and we even like went down to Philly for from a meal once, you know what I mean? And that mm-hmm. kind of fast forwarded to what happened a couple of years back with all the protests. And once all the shit locally got connected to it for me, like literally two years ago, uh, right now, as we're doing this interview, pretty much like it was right back to the front lines. And I think a lot of that for us comes from that, like coming up in our in our scene with our roots where it's like we feel like we have to kind of take that extra step sometimes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it, the the cool thing is also maturing with that, right? And seeing that how you're raising your kids has a positive impact. How you treat people, you know, has a positive impact. Like that's, 
you know, with age, you, you kind of shed the, the ego part of it, at least I've found, because there's a lot of that baked in when you're young, like people doing things for, you know, whatever social clout or whatever. <clears throat> but I, I think it's, it's pretty cool that there's a, still a network and a connection. Like, you know, you, we've never talked to you before, but in this conversation, we're gonna have a thousand things in common just because of that. So, yeah, I think it's still, it's still what keeps me doing it for sure. Now, one thing I'm thinking too, while we're talking about Salt Lake City and stuff is the late nineties, like was like, how big was the scene? Like, like in Syracuse, it was definitely bigger than Rochester where I'm from. Like our, our, our biggest shows would be maybe like 150, 200 people, but Syracuse like mm-hmm. on the regular would be filling up like big clubs. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that, is that? Yeah. I think it's probably similar. Like in the late nineties, the very first shows that I like got flyers to and the first ones I got out to really big shows, like a thousand people. And that was that wave of bands in the nineties, like clear trip hammer, the whole life sentence records era um, where things got really big, but then things got really extreme and like any scene, it dies down. And that was where Chase and I really started playing in bands and, and our era of bands came in. So I'd say like when we, when we started playing music and like, 2000, 2001, 2002 in the hardcore scene, we were almost kind of like the era that came after that big explosion. Yeah. I don't know what, yeah, I don't know what Syracuse saw, but like a lot of people had just kind of disappeared and we were like, wait, we're still into this. I think everywhere was probably like that because there was like definitely like, I wouldn't call it a second wave because obviously hardcore had been around for a while, but like for that generation, like it seemed like a second wave because like Syracuse had like, uh, the promise, you know, and bands like that yeah. sprouting up around this time. And and we had um, like the disaster and mm-hmm. um, bad business, just a bunch of like, none of, none, I, none of our bands were like as well known nationally, but like, if you were like come from Rochester, these bands are definitely like influential and like even bands like Polar Bear Club, which came later, but obviously everyone knows Polar Bear Club. Like that was, yeah. they were all influenced by a lot of the bands that were from, from our era. Um, so you guys started playing in bands around 2000, 2001 then? Like, had you guys done any like smaller projects before that? Or was that when you guys really first started, like right around the turn of the, the century, so to speak? Uh, I, I remember one time I, uh, I tried to play. I, I started out mu- music with playing drums. Uh, obviously, it wasn't very good. So, But I uh, tried to start a project or tried to get in with Dan's project, but apparently I wasn't uh, good enough, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> i'm never gonna live that story down am i yeah <laughs> no, but i mean we've all been like indirectly associated yeah. with cross projects you know it's but yeah you're taking me back in time um yeah, yeah i mean i think we we've had like you know too many to count the stuff that like really like when we when i honestly really became friends with chase that was like mid late 2000s when we, he, he was doing uh cool your jets and reviver um uh, which is was such a fucking awesome band that i'm still like the biggest fan of and i was doing a band called city to city <clears throat> before that we've been in like really heavy metallic hardcore bands um chase had a band called grace from gallows that he played drums in and it was good um despite what he says <laughs> um and i played in a band called cherum um for a couple of years there vegan straight edge bands but yeah, that later part of that decade was really cool. Like the 2005, 2010, because I feel like everybody kind of stepped step back and said, hey, let's, do, let's make sure we're being positive and, and productive with this. We're not just trying to 
you know, watch the world burn. Yeah. Not only that, I feel like that time was like, I was figuring myself out and kind of, you know, starting to realize where I want to go with music. And I don't know, it was a good, it was a good time to really rack my brain. There's, I don't want to jump around too much. I do that sometimes on the podcast, but I know Dan mm-hmm. had referenced a bunch of, uh, at least a couple notorious Salt Lake City stories. Um, <laughs> I feel like maybe we'll just save those for a fun end to the episode at this point. Yeah. Now we're kind of diving into like your guys' like bands you guys have played in. I don't want to like, you know, confuse myself or the listener too much, but I do want to hear uh, the Vanilla Ice story later, as well as uh, some other tidbits that are pretty, uh, <laughs> I, know. Yeah. I like that because like no that's what everybody who's listening to this is gonna want to hear. So we can just right now say that like at the end we'll talk about all the stuff you want to talk about Salt Lake Hardcore. <laughs> like enlightening around it. We'll just do yeah. one word reactions to everything. Exactly. But I, I, I definitely want to introduce people more <laughs> to your band, uh, especially your current band. But I'm curious, like you had referenced you guys like touring and stuff. Like I know I've heard the name Cooler Jets before. I, I don't know how many other bands you guys have been in that i would be familiar with um but did you guys do like a lot of touring uh uh in the 2000s or yeah yeah uh, at that time we all were kind of just living that life i mean not to say you would have heard of the bands but like you know we were all in vans with no apartment and backpacks lots of floors yeah reviver got out there a lot yeah. I-, I was living in new york for a while and they'd come out and i'd see them in new york and yeah, Reviver, Reviver, Road Dogs. So, like, what kind of bands, like, were you guys touring by yourselves, or were you, were you touring with, like, other bands and stuff, or, like, how, like, you know what I mean? Uh, I mean, a very, I mean, we weren't, like, on a specific tour package, but we were really good at hopping on those kind of shows. Like, we did, uh, uh, we followed, I hate saying followed, it makes us sound bad, because it was actually really fun, and we all got along together, but a long time ago, it was, that energy and defeater tour uh they played salt lake and we kind of just went up the east coast with them um there's this band called all teeth that was doing the same thing and yeah and that was really fun that that was that was a really positive eye-opener for me on a touring level yeah that brought back some memories here in that with Cherum, like being a vegan straight edge band, we were mainly playing with bands like that at that time. Like out of California, there's a whole wave of like seven generations and tears of Gaia, um, Parasitic Skies up in Seattle. And uh, there's like a big boom in that. So with Cherum, we did a lot of tours there. <clears throat> and they went on, they, they did some tours with like Remembering Never and other more like really political bands like that. <clears throat> I joined at the time, like I joined a band called First Blood for uh a while and we were doing like some the band out of san francisco and we were doing some really kind of like dream come true tours like europe with agnostic front wait tour with sick of it on stretch armstrong i'm sorry you joined a band called first blood for a little while yeah for like a year i was like a hired gun i wasn't really in the band that's still those breakdowns like what were you, were you, <laughs> playing, were you playing in the band or yeah, yeah. I when um, when they decided to go like full time, um, we had mutual friends from back east, and they just knew I played guitar. And so, right right when that they went full time, when California was released, I played guitar in band. That's pretty sick. That's another band that has roots in this area because their singer Carl 
yeah. I don't know if he's from, I feel like he's from this area because I know he went to school around here or something. He was in a band called Fists of Fury in uh, 1997, 98. Uh, you were talking about that Rochester hardcore uh, SoundCloud yeah. before. I'll, I'll have to show you that band because I feel like uh, my friend Greg who runs that would have had some Fists of Fury songs on here. And that, that was one of his early bands. He played bass in that hmm. band. Um, yeah. That's yeah, so it was crazy, a crazy though. experience. It was a super cool experience. Like, got to tour with Napalm Death and Hatebreed. And yeah, like it was dream come true kind of stuff. But it was like definitely just like, oh, you play guitar, play in the band. Like, I wasn't writing any of the music. I didn't have anything to do with that. Um, and then I had like some family stuff happen and, and left after a year. So I was only in the band for a year. Was that 2006 or? Yeah, 2006. My buddy Jim and I, who, my buddy Jim and I, uh, I don't know if you were on this tour or not, but we 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 actually went. They played in Syracuse with uh, Comeback Kid, Ignite. Yeah, and Ignite. Yeah, yeah. You were playing guitar on that, or and uh, yeah, and I think this is Hell was on that leg. Yeah, I think and so I, too. Yeah, my yeah, I, I was tripping out because that was the first tour I, that we did when that record came out, and I grew up listening to Ignite on repeat. Like they're one of my favorite bands. We're actually running Sons playing with them in a couple days, um, and it's it's really cool just to see like all that history. But yeah, Syracuse, we, we did some dates with Path, too. They did a little West Coast reunion, um, which was cool to be a part of. Yeah, that's so crazy. You, yeah, you sent me all this crazy shit today when I was prepping for the interview, but I, I didn't realize you had done, uh, like, you know, tour with other bands. Did either one of you guys do any other stuff like that, or is this the only, like, like time you guys have done something like that? Um, I mean, Chase has done so much music that's, like, outside of hardcore that's so cool, and they've they've gotten up to cool stuff and like indie rock and, and that whole world. I know. Yeah. Uh, my band city ghost couple, I think a couple years ago we did, uh, we did the California run with crime and stereo. That was pretty fun. So fun watching that, like those bands climb like that. Right. Cause I remember booking crime and stereo in Salt Lake in 2005 at uh, wild mushroom pizza yeah, we, like we could never keep venues in salt lake because shit would always get canceled and shut down and i walked into a pizza place one summer and i was like hey could we just do a punk show here and they were like yeah give us a hundred dollars and so the whole summer was like those shows and one of them was crime at stereo and i think it was with set it straight from california and maybe lifelong tragedy yeah I remember. And no one knew who crime and stereo was and salt lake still at that time was like there for the breakdowns and i remember just standing around being like this band is sick and people were just like eating pizza on picnic tables like you fast forward a couple of years it's cool to see like when all that touring pays off and then with the vegan straight edge bands and stuff i feel like this is the era i'm thinking of too was there any association with like i think it was seventh dagger was that the label yeah i think cool your jets had the record on seventh dagger right yeah our first record you put that up yeah, because there was a uh, buffalo uh, rhinoceros. They they were on uh, seventh. Oh, uh, I, I say I remember them. Yeah. We played some shows with them out here in Salt Lake for sure. I was gonna say I figured you guys would have played with them or whatever because I can't imagine there was like you know tons of bands around that era like like you know what I mean like where, like, yeah. straight, like straight edge like that and stuff. I mean there was, but you know what I mean. Yeah, um, I mean yeah, yeah. This is like a a mosaic of all the cool shit that uh, I'm very grateful that I've been a part of. This is fun. <laughs> um so i guess before we get into run into the sun like how like 
had you guys both been like been playing in hardcore bands the whole time then or like was there a break where you guys didn't play hardcore for a little while or i think there was like probably a break where we all were doing different things like i moved to new york started a family and then uh these guys are doing a band called heartless breakers that still needs to reunite chase sang in that band he's an amazing singer like sing singer um so i think we all kind of went off and did that kind of like what's like the Amish term when they like go off and like see the real world and then come back, like choose to come back to the Amish community. There's yeah. like some term for that. That's we good. did that thing. It's like, Oh, maybe I should do like a folk record. And it's like, God, I miss just yelling at a microphone. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can think so I think that was run to the sun was, was kind of that. It was kind of like us a couple of years later being like, now this isn't going to go away. Where did you like New York City or just like somewhere in New York you moved to for a little while? I, I was in the city for five years to to like make the world even smaller. I was actually born in Ithaca. So oh, the really? first like six, seven years of my life were right in your neck of the woods. Uh, I mean, you like geographically, you won't just won't really make you won't really if I, unless I tell you the miles, but I rode my bike there uh, two years ago, which is like 100 miles. So it was uh, it's long. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good time. And that's a cool city. I mean, I, you probably don't have tons of memories of it, but um, we got tons of like lakes around here, the Finger Lakes. And that's, that's, yeah. that's like one of the nicer ones. It's on like water and it's a, it's a really Cayuga. nice area. Yeah. Tons yeah. of childhood memories of skipping rocks and Cayuga Lake. Yeah. So that was like that. Um, I moved back to Utah in like 2015, I think, 14, 15. Um, right when I got back, um, we just like we caught up again and there was a show that one of my old bands did a reunion on um and after the show matt and chase were like yo we need to do a hardcore band again so that was how like the first run to the sun song like stuff came together it was just like yeah let's just do a band that is like <clears throat> that like pure protest kind of hardcore um and so that was where that came from and matt who plays guitar in the band has always been a guitar wizard like when, when I was playing the band Cherim, he was maybe 16, we were like 19 and we needed a fill in and we had to convince his mom to let us, let him go on tour. I think we actually had to sign some kind of paperwork or something to let him come and play guitar <laughs> on that tour on the West Coast. Um, and we always, so we always called Matt, and, Matt and Chase were always like in these younger bands, but they're always way better than us. So we called them the rookies and Matt's guitar playing, like the way he writes is just one of a kind. So when we got back together, you know, Matt just went into the lab and just started riffing and sent some tracks. And yeah, we've just kind of been going since. So was there a, so I'm sorry, I missed that. Was there a break for Run of the Sun? Because I, when I was doing the, the listening to you guys on Bandcamp and, and shit the last couple of days, I noticed the recordings was like, there was like a five-year gap or whatever. Yeah, we put out some stuff in 2016 and played like just shows, like, excuse me, um, with our dad and job schedules and then um pandemic hit so everything was just kind of quiet but during that time that's where we started talking about doing um doing another demo and so in like 2000 we probably started playing with that and then we just put out the single so yeah there's a little bit of a lull you know global outbreaks will do that are you and then and i noticed i'm sure we'll get to a lot of stuff but one thing i noticed too is you guys have some videos like like how, how like who's making those like do you guys have somebody that does those or um it's usually just stuff that we pull together 
That's like we've like all hour. gotten like, yeah, coming up doing zines, doing labels, we've learned videography, editing. Like we have, like a lot of us do creative work professionally. Um, so it's kind of like, yeah, it's a kind of self-sustaining unit most of the time. You know, when we have, now that we're releasing more music, we're going to have more singles out. We're going to do some more formal videos, but it's kind of, it's like really just, it's that continuation of the DIY thing. Like, Hey, let's do this. Here's a crazy idea. I hit the text thread. I'm like, Hey, do you guys hate this or love this? And they're like, I hate it. And I'll throw it away or be like, I love it. And then we'll work on it. So that leads to like videos, at least emerge, it leads to. That's my favorite part of the whole, that's my favorite part of the whole thing is just utilizing what you learned you know in your earlier yeah. years and, and implementing that now but only better and i could yeah. say that i could say that you know for on a musicianship level too yeah more effective yeah right. it's just wow i kind of feel like i know what i'm doing now so it's i don't know it's more impactful and more satisfying for me now we 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 definitely glossed over some bands relatively quickly there, and I'm hopefully we'll be able to you know link to some uh, blogs or something that has more information on some of those bands. But something that makes this making me think about those bands, like with this band and the videos, is like the key differences. You know what I mean from like your earlier bands compared to now. Mm -hmm. And Dan, you talking about like releasing more singles and doing more videos. That seems like a major yeah. difference within the scene versus 20 years ago. Because it seems like 20 years ago you would have just been recording a seven inch or a, or a CD basically yeah. you know, putting that out. But now it's like, is that, is that a, that's a completely different approach then? Right. Or... Yeah. I, I mean, we talk about this a lot and how we're doing stuff. Um, we're not like, I think in a way we're not as precious about it. Like we had recorded some stuff and, and I just stripped the vocals off it. We re-recorded like whole new songs and <laughs> re-released them. Like you'll never find the old versions of it. Um, and then like that also like leads into like what, <clears throat> you know, the way we release stuff. Um, and that's a whole can of worms. Like I kind of, th I kind of think that going to singles is going back to the seven inch model a little bit, like the A side, B side, um, where it's like, let's, let's put out one song that has like, maybe like a, what people expect from us. And then a B side, like thinking of like an old, you know, Elvis or Elvis Costello or like the generations of seven inch like whatever, I don't know if that's seven inch, five inch, like that early, like pre-hardcore A side, B side thing, Motown radio back then kind of vibe. And that's how we've looked at it now is like, um, at a certain point, maybe we release those and then um, go in and do like four or five songs and release it as a full length, <clears throat> um, which is kind of doing what like major labels do now. You know, you'll hear like eight Drake songs and all of a sudden a 20 song record comes out or something. but I, yeah, there's just something about, um, there's something that's really hard about investing the time and care into really polishing a full length. I've done, I did it with a, a rock band recently and it's amazing how much just emotionally and like how much time it takes to do that all at once. So I, I like the vibe. I feel like we can work faster. We can come up with different ideas and yeah. What do you think about it? I'm curious with your background, like in, in labels and all the, the stuff you released over the years, like, do you have a positive impression of where things are going or is it? Well, I think so, but it kind of, I said something on my personal uh, social media today that I think kind of reflects on what we're talking about that 
like in the late 90s, like we had Limp Bizkit, which like made society kind of seem really kind of dumb. And now we have TikTok, which makes society seem even dumber. (laughs) And I think that kind of parallels with hardcore because like I like some of these bands. I'm not going to like talk any shit or name any of them, but it seems like a lot of what's happening now with hardcore is like bands get hyped off of like a 45 second reel that you see on on social media. Like everybody sees it and shares it. Possibly uh, a a dude who used to play on my favorite basketball team might comment on it or something. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's just like, yeah. So I feel like we're living in more of the now age with it. And like, honestly, I am like starting up my record label. Like, I don't know if I'm going to release new stuff or not. I haven't really decided like, but I want to get everything streaming at least and do some other stuff, which we'll talk about eventually. But like, I don't know how it's going to work, like how how things work now yeah. with like signing bands and like you were Ooh. talking about like releasing like like eight singles in a row and then putting out a full length. It's like sometimes I see rappers put out all these singles and I'm like, is that even going to go on your full length or is it just right. like for a video that I'm supposed to be like liking on social media, you know, and I yeah. feel like hardcore is not exactly the same, but it, I mean, a lot of that could also be attributed to the vinyl plants with hardcore too, you know what I mean? Right. Like how you right. kind of right. have to do it this way now, but um it just it definitely seems more of like a now age for me does that does that does that make sense to you or yeah it does and it's funny i was having a conversation at the show recently with a friend who's a little bit younger playing some great hardcore bands and and it's sometimes it's hard now to understand if a band is sincere or if they're like they're kind of tongue-in-cheek and like you see it when you look at like fest lineups and other things and you're like i know everybody loves this band i can't tell if they're really that band or there's like kind of some like joke going on here that I don't know about. Um, and I think it happens with heavy hardcore a lot. Cause back in the day, like when we booked shows for like <clears throat> Shattered Realm, like you knew Shattered Realm was Shattered Realm. Like there was no farce there. Um, and sometimes I don't, I don't, I can't tell anymore. Like I'm like, is this band really this hard or is, am I missing out on like an inside joke? Well, Chase, you playing in, in other bands, I'd like to get your take on this in a second too, but I want to throw something else in there. And again, like I'm not one to talk shit, so I'm not going to name a name because I'm yeah. sure there's other bands like this too. But I definitely heard an interview with somebody who's in a band like where they talked about like getting into hardcore within the last couple of years and being at a really big show and being like, oh, I want to be in a band so I can do that. And and and, and you could look at it the one side right, of like, right. like you want to be in a band so you can like speak to a large audience. But like the, the asshole side of me heard it and was like, they want right. to be like that's on just... social media and have people liking their band and like sharing shit. Cause that's all it's like, sometimes it's all hardcore seems like to me now, you know, like, and I'm not like the bands that I check out here aren't like that. You know what I mean? But like, sometimes it just yeah. seems like there's bands that are like that. Like, do you get that vibe too, Chase? Or are, are we? Oh that? yeah. No, I mean, all it boils down to man and punk hardcore, whatever band you're in. It's just, I mean, the internet's come a long way. We all know that everything is so accessible and it's almost so accessible that it's becoming saturated and you know back backpedaling to the single idea i think it's great to kind of put a little bit out there and you know because if you pull put a full record out there people are just gonna you know i don't know if you've ever looked at band cap stats but um yeah it's it's really hard to keep people's attention just because there's so much shit out there now and it's so easy to put out yeah. I, mean, I mean, look back in the days when you had a flyer, your own shows. I'm not trying to sound like an old gomer, but <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's just too easy now, man. And that leads to, you know, saturation. That also leads to what Dan was talking about, sincerity. 
um it's just it's too easy man it's i i don't like it but it is what it is and you have to you have to deal with it and yeah. come up with cooler ideas it's just part of the game yeah and i think there's a, a positive flip side to it with how much easier it is for us to produce music and put it out which is that we can react to things like when Ryan to the sun started the first song we really put out was your badge is a burning cross and that was in 2016 after like one one of the first big waves of police shootings and it was like let's get something out really quickly and now it's i, I like that with our band because um <clears throat> with the love pain single that we just put out it's a little more you know personal and emotional but it's in reaction to like all of us losing close friends and family over the last three years it's all about loss you know because i think everybody's experienced that um so we were able to like when those demos, like Matt worked those demos up and everybody started working on it, sharing it, I was able to kind of say right now, like right now, what is it we want to be talking about? So I like that with Run to the Sun, because if we do a single like that every three months or something, we can get really, really specific and effective with it. Um, so that's that's a flip side that I like. Right? Yeah. But there's a lot of there's a lot of weirdness with how saturated things are for sure. I think there's definitely other positives to like hardcore being like living in the now and living in the social media age. Like there's like hardcore, like, I mean, you could say it sucks that hardcore is so accessible now, but it's also great because like, I've just seen like bands from all over the place. Now that I'm doing this podcast, like I didn't realize there's like mm -hmm. Indonesia has like tons of hardcore yeah. bands now, you know what I mean? Like all these like far out places that I never would have yeah. thought of, like have their own scenes and it's just crazy to, to hear all these bands now you know so that that's another yeah. positive to it i guess um uh, i agree I mean, just, that i i probably came off a little more pe pessimistic than i intended to but i <laughs> i do see the i do see the light in it i just yeah. no, I, I had that that experience today i was listening to whispers out of thailand shit is so hard and i was just like wow thailand like i don't think there was a band of my generation out of thailand if there was there was no way for us to hear it so there's something really special about that for sure well, hopefully nobody who runs a podcast listens to this episode and steals this idea because I like to leave breadcrumbs like this out every so often. Um, one of my future plans for like features is to start like covering other countries and like certain episodes, like do like an episode cool. every couple months, not even just countries, but just like less like lesser known areas where there's like a like a burgeoning scene or whatever, you know what I mean? And like yeah. Indonesia is one of the first ones I want to do because I just like just, they just like came through in a flood one week. I was like, yo, where are all these bands mm. coming from, you know? And, you know, I definitely want to, because I do like new music episodes on here so every so often too. So I definitely want to give those bands some shine on one of those episodes too. Um, and speaking of new music, you guys just really recently recorded. Is that That's not the Love is Pain thing you were talking about, right? You guys recorded something even more recently, right? Love is Pain was the most recent thing we put out. We, we're doing demos right now for another okay. two songs that we're going to put out in the next month or two. Okay, because um, in my living in the now yeah. social media moments, I saw you guys posting mm -hmm. uh, yeah. videos in the studio, and I, I didn't know if you were recording new new tracks or if that was, like you're, you're saying, that's just demos for stuff you're going to be doing? Or um, That was probably the Love Pain stuff, just sharing stuff that we were working on. But we're, we're kind of blessed here in Utah with, like, a riches, riches of recording folks. Like, we grew up recording with this guy, Andy Patterson, who like was fundamental in like Salt Lake hardcore bands, the youth crew era, then played in State of the Nation, did Time and Inside Out, like amazing musician, still plays in tons of great metal bands to this day. He had a studio we all came up in like recording 
in and then he's like we had a friend named Wes who shared studio with him he's got a spot and then Love and Pain was recorded with Nick Karchner who who has a studio here in Salt Lake and he also plays in the bands Victim to None and Absolved here in town um so we're kind of we're pretty lucky to have good friends who are good at recording and it's a different mindset though like to what you're saying about the trend because we can just kind of stay in recording mode we do something like that and like two weeks later matt sends a demo and we're back in the recording mode so that's that's definitely different than it was back in the day even when we were doing shorter seven inches it was a year of writing we'd record for a week we would take we'd play that out for like a year or two um so yeah we're all, we're always going to be doing it that's that's the beauty of this band is that we're at the age and the point where we've accepted that this is really important to us. So you can expect a lot more of those singles for a lot of years. We also individually like have the means to work on stuff at home too. So it's, if we're not meeting up in a room or at the studio, we're usually uh, emailing each other tracks and adding on to that and just bouncing shit back and forth. It's, it's really cohesive. I, I like it. Now, we haven't even really talked about Run Into the Sun sonically yet, and I, I think it'd be pretty easy for me to cheat because I know you guys are doing a cover set of their band uh, coming <laughs> up, a band that's pretty well-known regionally uh, here, and I obviously interviewed their singer uh, a yeah. while back. Obviously, you guys, uh, sonically, it seems to me you guys are at least somewhat influenced by Snapcase, right? Yeah, for sure. I don't, I don't think that like the 90s hardcore could ever leave our writing. Like I listen to Chase and Matt's band City Ghost or Matt plays in a band Sun Sleeper. It's like an awesome emo indie band. And I hear 90s hardcore in that stuff as well. Um, so yeah, Snapcase is definitely in there. I think with Matt, you know, he's really, he's the wizard behind the riffs. Um, and Rage Against the Machine, um, I refused. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but like you're pretty, you, you're pretty on honest. <laughs> pretty on. Quicksand. There's a lot of that. Like the, the even the post hardcore that kind of era from post hardcore into '90s metallic hardcore just kind of flows out of them. It's funny too because like when I thought you guys were like like ten years younger than you are, I was just gonna like be like, well, they do sound kind of like style. <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> but I say turnstile yeah. sounds like Snapcase too, though. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it, it makes or, sense. You know what I mean? So uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's we were. Uh, it was funny. I don't know if you ever heard the 185 Miles South podcast. Yeah. They they reviewed our, our single. Somebody gave it to them to review, and it kind of felt like when you're getting broken up with by somebody, and they're like, "You're a good person. We don't like you." <laughs> but you're a good person like you guys did a good job here and it was great it was like it was awesome um but one of the things that uh that i thought was interesting is that they kind of said the same thing like this that band doesn't sound like they're taking from turnstile but they sound like they exist in the same world and i think it's probably because we're around the same age we came up in the same bands and when we go back to influences that are <clears throat> before us it's like those bands snapcase quicksand rage inside out burn orange nine millimeter like that was all stuff that was like right before we started playing in bands so it was it was what we was soaking into our brains as kids so that's fair it's weird too though because going back to the parallels like snapcase was pretty much the band that got me into hardcore like i already heard mm -hmm. like minor threat and gorilla biscuits but like 
Yeah. I can't remember what year it was, but it was one of the first warp tours, like probably like 96, yeah. like the second one. Yeah. They played last in Buffalo because it was like a local thing for them. And just seeing like it was outside and there was like dirt flying everywhere, like and dudes had on like masks, like obviously way pre-COVID. So it, <laughs> it was just crazy. Like, and no I've never COVID. seen people like I think I might have seen a sick of it all video once. But yeah. I'd never seen like up With close dance personal. moves. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. People going like everything like that. And I was like, yeah. yo, this is this is sick. And then they would play here all the time. So it was just yeah. it was cool to be able to see Snapcase like every, I don't know, every three or four months back then, it seemed like, you know. So yeah. There's yeah. also always something so special about them because you could tell that that the conviction was in there and those principles, but they did such an artful way of putting it across, like in Daryl's writing and like the delivery and the way they pushed like the sound record to record, there was always something like artful about that band that I loved, still love. Actually, I don't know if you listened to my interview with Daryl, Dan, but I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, because he he scoffed at me when I before the interview was over. Are there any important lyrical themes that we didn't touch on uh, for any of the new Run Into the Sun stuff? I know you said the new stuff's like a little more personal. Mm. Um, what was his, how did he respond to that? No, 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 I didn't yeah. ask about lyrics. Oh, you like, didn't. Okay. I, I don't know if I just forgot or if I didn't have it in my notes, but like we got to the <laughs> end of the interview and I was like, so is there yeah. anything we didn't touch on that you'd want to like expand on yeah. more or some shit like that? Probably trying to sound cool too, you know? And he was like, well, sure. we never even talked about the lyrics. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, fuck, <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Well, it's just accepted. Like, yeah, man, you're on another level. What are we going to talk about? Yeah. Um, for me, it's like really about just giving, putting music out there that people can relate to. Like, it sounds corny, but it really is records that have kept me alive through the hardest stuff that I've gone through in my life. Um, and the the ability to give a voice to anyone in a voiceless situation is something that also, you know, follows that vein for me. Because, you know, playing in like super political bands growing up, that ethic kind of bleeds in. So. I just hope that like when, you know, when we talk about the lyrical themes as a band, it's not just me pulling stuff together. When we talk about it, we're trying to find whatever in the moment is is most important to give the world and to give people out there um, who are going through like whatever it is, like moments of like absolute terror with, you know, the amount of police violence and abuse in this country. Like, I mean, the list of things that people need to feel not alone about right now is so long. Um, so I think that's just the hope is that we're always making stuff that helps us keep going. And when somebody hears it out in the world, it helps them too. But I, yeah, I don't think there's themes as much as just like when we're recording, when we go into the studio thinking like, what's the most potent thing we could put out there. Dan's really good at portraying that too. I've always respected that your storytelling and how you're able to uh, take something personal and, you know, kind of open it up for others to relate to. It's, it's not easy to do. Thank you, Chase. That means a lot. And I'll probably ask you a few more current SLC questions before we uh, dive into what should be the Patreon exclusive uh, content. Um, <laughs> Well, yeah. before that, I know I know you mentioned the Ignite shows coming up, and I referenced you guys are doing something cool there, uh, the Halloween uh, covers uh, show. Yeah. Like, what's all coming up for you guys? Though, is that mainly the shows, or you guys got other stuff coming up too? Um, we got a lot of stuff coming together. That one's great. We uh, with the zine that me and some friends do in Salt Lake, Ill Will, 
we we don't book like touring shows but we put together benefit shows and so this is a benefit for our friends organization called gear fund collective um she gathers and distributes gear for like outdoor um, activities like camping climbing hiking and distributes it to people who have like systematic barriers to getting that type of gear um and yeah she just works so hard and sends anything everything out of her own pocket to this network around the world so that's a yeah it's going to be a big crazy cover show we've got um yeah just like there's so many amazing bands in salt lake now maybe a third of them are playing but we've got snake eyes covering hate breed absolved covering gorilla biscuits uh recidivist covering slayer zodiac killer covering trapped under ice um our friends in crow killer are covering something they're not telling anybody and then a couple more to announce so it's just this is kind of a salt lake tradition back in the day getting all the bands together and doing these cover sets for a good cause so that yeah that's happening when i saw that because I, I i was just scrolling through instagram one day and i saw like trapped under ice and a bunch of other bands and i was like <laughs> what the fuck's going on in salt lake city and then i looked closer i was like oh that's a that's yeah. definitely a cool thing like we used to have halloween shows here but the most we ever had was like a misfits cover band you know what i mean like mm -hmm. there was never yeah. like anything like cool like this or whatever you know um, yeah and they, um, there's a couple other shows on the horizon and like what we're looking at like having done this for decades is like how do we just do it in a smart way so looking at like weekend runs in places where we have friends who are still playing in bands so maybe doing california runs or northwest runs or maybe heading out to the east coast for a couple of days doing it smarter not harder um playing some fests but yeah we're really just kind of kicking into gear with this this new stuff we're releasing so we're probably not going to be back in the van like playing topeka on a wednesday night which was dope and we did that and but yeah we're we're going to be out there just a little bit more strategically in our old age and speaking of fests you know if you're friends with a person i know and i'm not, again i'm not like a shit talking podcast but i saw the lineup to a, a fest that's happening in utah and <laughs> I'm yeah, not as familiar with, with the Utah bands, but I scrolled through it a couple of times and I was like, I don't think they have any local bands playing on that, right? Like there's a fest going on in your guys' city and they, there's no local bands playing? Uh, I mean, the pre-show's got a lot of local bands and D-Void's playing on Saturday, but those guys booked it and booked it really fast. Um, it's the first time Salt Lake's had a hardcore fest and hopefully it's the first of many. Um, and I think everybody said yes to it. And so I think they were like, wow, our bill is full um but yeah that one wild west fest number one is going down in october yeah I saw yeah i think on the first day like snake eyes is playing victim to none never mind um a couple others well so there are some locals yeah because again yeah. i'm not as familiar with some of the the utah bands you know what i mean so um you know uh, are you guys and, and again i know going back to how things are different now but are you guys still like actively going to try to like strap the shit to labels at all or, or just kind of keep putting stuff out yourselves for now i mean i think it's really like a question of like because our stuff is so politically oriented and it's strategic and like how we put it out if we can do what we're doing with our experience we're just going to keep doing that you know if there's a point where somebody that's like you know a label or publicity or whatever else gets that and like is comfortable working with a band is probably going to put out a record that's 
just continually pisses people off more and more and more than like, hell yeah, like working with somebody would be great for that. But like Chase said, at this age, like writing demos, recording, we can do this ourselves for the most part. So yeah, just DIY and unless somebody wants to put up with us. Unless unless another crime thing, <laughs> unless another crime thing records. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, um is uh man who else who was the um new eden like maybe new eden still putting stuff out i don't know uh um, i haven't heard that name in a long time so like how like how big is like how many bands are there in salt lake city now like 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 20 oh man more? it's crazy there's probably 30 hardcore adjacent bands in salt lake and it's like four it's four decades of kids that have just stayed involved and grown up and and so like the special thing right now is that like venues like people who know hardcore and grew up in hardcore booking shows with us now own venues they're the ones booking shows for the big promotion companies um and back in the day it was so hard to keep get stuff going just because people didn't understand it there was violence but nowadays like it's a lot easier for this to be consistent like in town we have a venue called the beehive that's been around for years and years now and before that they were involved in a venue called the underground and like andrew's the first like like you'll see andrew who owns the beehive like front flipping off a stage into a crowd at a show that's booked at his own venue that he has to deal with the insurance on like <laughs> it's just it's just it's a really good time for that so it's easy for bands to come up and and play shows and it's almost too many shows sometimes i feel like um, but yeah, like I mentioned, some of the bands that, that have been really just doing it full time and doing it well, like victim to none, they've been at it for a long time and they're great, really thrashy stuff, heavy thrashy. Um, they've done a bunch of West coast runs. Like they went out I think they did some shows with spy slow bleed and yeah, they're just going for it. Snake eyes, the most straight edge band in existence makes sense they come out of salt lake so snake eyes is really going hard right now i think like 500 people told furnace fest to put them on yesterday when we we flocked it um absolved is amazing i mentioned like nick plays in in that band and victim tonight and they they play like sort of like that like mid-2000s melodic hardcore you don't hear a lot of anymore like that lifelong tragedy modern life is war um ruiner kind of stuff really great i mean I, I could just keep this list going forever narc like sick power violent stuff cult leaders still doing it they've been around for a long time you know they're still putting records out on death wish and playing around they're all over the country now um ryle matt our guitarist plays in a band called ryle it's really like technical heavy hardcore um yeah spent violent unrest i i could just keep going on and on and on Oh yeah, I had I had a spent track when I did my last new music episode. I put one of their tracks on here. I'm familiar with those guys. Yeah, that band's good. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, um, you did you did mention something though that I was thinking about. I don't know if one of you guys wants to touch on this. Like, I don't know how like how big how big overall the scene is there, but I've had this conversation with other people, especially like when things are reopening, and that's definitely yeah. like a lot of bands. And it sounds like you were saying a lot of shows. Like, is there ever a concern that it's going to be like too much and like people are going to get burnt out on it? Or do you think because we were locked down for so long that people are going to kind of have this energy going for the foreseeable future? I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, I think like more than the pandemic, we there's just all the building blocks in place, like a zine, 
a venue, multiple venues, promoters who were bringing the touring bands through, recording studios, practice spaces. Like this is the first time where all of those puzzle pieces have kind of been in place. So I don't know if it'll stay like at this height, but we'll probably inevitably look back and say 2022 was pretty special just because we were all getting back to life. Um, but if half these bands keep playing, it's twice as many bands as Salt Lake's ever had at one time that are out touring yeah, and grinding. It's, it's definitely, uh, the past few shows I've been to, it's definitely a lot different in terms of how many people are showing up and, and whatnot. Yeah. It, it totally, totally different, but very cool vibe. I, I'm optimistic for the youngins. So. Yeah. I mean, like, I, like literally just to like hammer at home, uh, villain, Thrier, Takeover still playing, Social Stigma, Suffocator, Snuff Tape, Sonnets, sick old school Screamo type stuff. Um, Seven Daggers, guys who played in early 90s hardcore bands that are still playing today. Um, Recidivist, Raid, uh, Mandalore, who's been at it for a minute. Liar's Tongue still playing shows. Fuckskin is out of their mind. Fight the Future down don't trust anyone still doing it despite despair uh Cherim never technically broke up so everyone's waiting for that anonymous like it's someone needs to make like one of those 30 song comps for this year because it's like salt lake the way it is yeah that's crazy and it's just a lot of bands and you guys get all the package tours coming through there still too pretty much right yeah unless you're hate breed who just won't come back <laughs> Come on, Jamie. When was the last time they played there? I'm kidding. They play like metal shows. They do like metal packages and stuff. But there were some amazing hate breed shows in like Y2K era. Some of them more infamous than amazing. So that's just kind of an ongoing joke that well, they need to play a hardcore show here again. Unless unless we missed anything with Run Into the Sun or current SLC, I think that's what we're about to get into is all the notorious shit. Anyways, um, is there any is there any hate breed stories to tell? Is that what is that what you're kind of alluding to? <laughs> no, I mean like the I kind of like that that came up because when you look at like reality versus the media back then, you get like a bunch of really passionate bands that were super convicted, um, and then some crazy stuff that happened along the way. Um, so a lot of that stuff has been blown really, really far out of proportion. Um, yeah, I don't know so that. The, that when that tour came through, that hate breed, poison the well, bane, what feeds the fire package, that was pretty out of control. It's the first time I almost got hit by a flying bar stool. So that's that's all I really remember from that show. Um, but uh, yeah, the ones the ones that people always ask about, like it's funny what back then a bunch of kids went out to the Hellfest in Syracuse in like 2000. And there were all these like rumors about Salt Lake City that came up and it was always this list. And it's like 20 years later, we, I still get these questions when I talk to people. Um, so I don't know if you ha like have a list or anything or we want to just rapid fire it. Uh, we'll, we'll rapid <laughs> fire it in a second. It's weird because I, I only ever booked and I co I co-promoted it with like a bigger promoter, but I only ever booked one Hatebreed show and it was on that tour. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, you know, completely different here. I, there definitely weren't any bar stools being thrown the worst that ever happened for us i don't know how it was like there and i'm sure this might kind of you know come into play with what we're going to be talking about is like a band like hate breed or even snapcase would play 
and like they would draw a lot of like what i refer to as like the fringe kids i don't really know what else to call them like the new metal kids or whatever you know what i mean and like so when they're doing like that push mosh shit like all the hardcore kids are moshing into them and then eventually you know and this was yeah. before like because we didn't really have we we only had crews here for like a year or two you know but fights would always break out because of that because there'd be like yeah we didn't know what was up or whatever you know what i mean like i think yeah i mean i think mostly here was security like when bands started playing larger venues and there were security you know folks that just didn't know what was going on that was most everything like at that time um but i think like the there's always always kind of like a sense of humor around salt lake too um when it came to that stuff because a lot of the more infamous stuff you hear about was kind of a joke like like the samples you hear from like those news shows or like the vanilla ice thing was like really just a free tattoo. Someone was like, I won't name names, but it was like, I'll give a free half sleeve to anybody that knocks vanilla ice out. So somebody did like in, in hindsight, like it sucks. It's really petty behavior or whatever. Um, but I, I think a lot of the stigma around Salt Lake was actually just like the media took it and just went crazy with it. Cause you had 2020 America's most wanted time magazine interviewing 16 year old kids from the suburbs who didn't really represent anything you know like in a lot of those cases and a lot of those people that were interviewed went on to end up snitching on animal rights cases and stuff so like there yeah there's a it, that stuff got really blown out of portion and like everybody gets how this works now but like there was just it was it was something interesting to talk about that would get you know suburban parents really keyed up like whoa my kids are into straight edge oh my god so so, so a lot yeah. of it really was fake news yeah i mean yeah i'm not gonna front when i saw the time magazine article i was like yo what the fuck like because wasn't there like swords and shit in that like I, I don't have that magazine anymore but i could swear there was like a kid holding like swords or some shit yeah there's like a news clip of someone that like had a sword at a fight and that news clip went around like yeah, crazy, but and I'm like, that has to be like some 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 video grab because it's like no one's gonna be at a hardcore show like fucking walking around with like a <laughs> a sword on their hip or whatever. Yeah, I mean, there was there was a time at Bad Luck Religion where another friend unnamed had a meat cleaver during the set and cut another friend's hand open. So there were some moments that weren't fake news that didn't make the news that were kind of infamous. Um, I just thank God that for the most part, everybody is still alive and matured and has like created really positive lives. Um, Cause that stigma like still carries bands and it overshadows the, what was under that, which was like really meaningful, really activist driven hardcore community. Um, so I like, I mean, I wanted to kind of talk about that because it, it over it often overshadows in Salt Lake everything good about it and like the friendships like these guys I've played music with for twenty years we all met in that world, um, but yeah there's a yeah I think sometimes the cloud still kind of flo floats over I think sometimes people just get a little too extreme with shit too because like I mentioned in the notes I couldn't remember if this was SLC or not but somebody firebombed a McDonald's at some point in the mid to late nineties too was that there or was that somewhere else. Yeah, that I mean, I'm sure that happened a couple of places, but the animal rights movement was big here, like yeah. related to straight edge or not related to straight edge, because we have a lot of uh, mink farms. Um, and it was, you know, looking back, the people I know that were involved in that, it was like young, 
male one-upsmanship in a lot of cases. Like, oh, I can do the crazier thing. I can do the crazier thing. Um, and a lot of those people didn't stay involved in the politics or the community. So, yeah, uh, there's like a, there's definitely a laundry list of those things. Yeah, that 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 is something that obviously goes hand in hand going back to the Syracuse and Salt Lake City parallels, because obviously with Earth yeah. Crisis, I mean, they were pushing that that vegan shit like I, I feel like they, obviously they were like one they were like the first like big band to do. I doubt they weren't obviously the first first, but you know what I mean? Like yeah. that's. I'm only only a couple episodes back when I first I'm doing a bunch of Hellfest episodes and we talked about yeah first cool. Syracuse Fest and that's where like I learned about uh like veganism I mean I I knew about it but like that's where I first like had a vegan meal and I was like yo this is like yeah. this would be cool to do like more like people go to shows and have this kind of shit you know yeah speaking of upstate New York and like Salt Lake hardcore geekdom there were bands here like pre-internet age that were like uniquely popular here um in the 90s and 2000s like if you're from salt lake you kind of had a list of bands you listen to um like stark weather was a band uniquely popular here undying like would sell out shows here but section eight was a big band for salt lake um and i still remember <laughs> the story when when a bunch of friends went out to hellfest um one of my friends tried to buy all the section eight cds so nobody could have one he was like what how can, can i buy all these and it was because of this like this is like not from salt lake but this is a salt lake band kind of thing um is that the band from albany section eight yeah yeah albany section eight that's so crazy um, because like I, I i know they did okay there but like like yeah. if you were to like ask somebody in syracuse or buffalo or rochester like a few people probably would yeah. know who they were you know what i mean i mean in 2009 we flew Starkweather out for a show that sold out here and they were like man we don't get this at home like Philadelphia hasn't sold out a show for us in ages. So they, yeah, Salt Lake, that's another interesting thing about Salt Lake is just sonically. And I'm sure it hits our music in some ways, but there have been some really weird, weird things. Like, like Salt Lake was on the Life of Agony bandwagon really hard before that, like people started bootlegging merch or typo negative, like dark, eerie, creepy stuff. Um, but yeah, it goes back to that history. Like you listen to Lifeless in 1995 trying to do the hardcore cannibal corpse and you're like oh that's an interesting chapter in history why do you think that is you guys have like such a unique sound you think it's kind of like i don't want to say being in the middle of nowhere but almost you know what i mean like where you guys are located like you're you're not yeah. super far from like you know vegas and shit in denver i guess but like i remember when i lived in denver it seemed like that like like the few major cities in that part of the country were all kind of isolated. You know what I mean? They're still far. It's still like an eight hour drive to get somewhere. And I think back then pre-internet, it was like who had the CD from a mail order that gave it to all their friends. Um, Salt Lake also had like a really cool history. This is why I love looking at that Rochester SoundCloud because you never hear the versions of certain types of bands from other cities that didn't really get out there and tour. But like in the eighties, we had bands like Massacre Guys and Bad Yodelers were doing punk and crossover in like really wild ways and then that led into insight and better way which were like our first straight edge bands which turned into iceburn who were like just spirit quest hardcore jazz visionaries and so gentry from iceburns he does eagle twin he's been an influence in this city for like 40 years um at that time jeremy who played in insight he went on and played with Handsome, Jess to Brazil. Like there's a, there's a, there's just a rich like root system here and people end up back here. So 
I think that's kind of part of it probably is that the, you know, the history of your city in a way that maybe other places that have like different scenes and like more people don't know, you know, everybody's around town. Um, it's kind of like the interview with Rich that you did when he was talking about like obituary being around town. Like I'd see those people just like at the Blue Cats vegan cafe or something. I'd be like, holy shit, that's that guy from Iceberg or whatever. Now, I, I don't want this to come off as a slight, but Iceburn's got to be like one of the five or 10 weirdest bands like to come out of hardcore. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. For so real. like, were they like, like pretty big locally too? Or yeah. Like at that time I was a kid, I was like seven when they were playing shows or something. <laughs> but um, the bands like went from that youth crew sound, like insight who actually just played a couple days ago. They're still coming around doing great shows, reunion shows um, insight like blurred into Iceburn and there was a whole era of bands that were on a label called Salt Flat Records that did really ex more experimental takes on hardcore kind of mixing like the DC stuff and alternative at the time and Sonic Youth into that bands like Lumberjack and Brainstorm and Waterfront um so there was like a, a moment of really big shows it's like hardcore everywhere you know you have the top of the roller coaster and then it drops and and Iceburn were just the, the lead on that because Gen Gentry is just an absolute wizard. Like he's on another planet when it comes to playing guitar and writing music and building mythological universes for the sound, and building amps, building actual crazy yeah. amps. Yeah, those he's an, those amps are sweet. he's an icon and a really nice guy. Now I'm sure I could ask you guys like all night about Salt Lake City, um, but we probably will start wrapping things up soon. But I kind of do want to ask. I like how you were able to kind of, you know, get it out there that even though the media kind of labeled it one way, like Salt Lake City was more in, in again, parallels to Syracuse and like yeah. parts of Rochester that, that were influential on me. You guys were more like activists. However, I would if you if you can say anything PG-13 related, if you guys want to share each the craziest thing you ever have seen at a show locally. um or anything close to it. Uh, I'm just gonna leave this open to Chase because how do you do that and not glorify it the way? That's what I, I always come back to in these conversations. There was this old, there was this venue called Albi Square. Uh, what year would you say that was? Like 2000, 2000 early 2000s? Three, four. Yeah, and uh, I think Bad Luck Thirteen was headlining. And oh, it was gr it was Grimlock. Oh, oh, Grimlock, um, right, Because right. Bad Luck played the Junction. Yeah, Grim and... Grimlock played Albie. And the local band Cherim here that Dan's talked about a few times that he used to play for, uh, they opened, and people were just so yoked for fucking Grimlock that they were just, like, warming up, you know, for Cherim who opened. And at this venue, there was... And I don't know how anybody didn't think ahead about this, but... There's this huge window, like it went from the ceiling to the floor and no, no barrier, nothing. And there's this dude leaning, leaning back on it in the back of the pit, just like, you know, watching the show and he gets, you know, he gets moshed into. And how many stories was that? Like two, three, two stories, like to just an underground basement falls out the window, falls straight Big on his back. I thought he was dead. Window. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was scary, man. I just remember peeking my head out the window. And, you know, like on movies when people fall off something, then their body looks all weird. Like, 
it was exactly like that, dude. I was fucking terrified. I felt so bad for the guy. But, yeah. Um, yeah, that was probably the craziest thing I've ever seen and that I hope to ever see. Is that dude okay now or? Uh, he recovered, I believe. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure it was a long road. I wasn't close with him, but um, yeah, it was scary shit for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I've already like said. No, the meat cleaver like the, thing. The bad, the bad luck meat cleaver thing because it was friends and ended fine is something to share. But the thing, like the flip side of it is just that like, I don't think anyone of any generation wants to relive or perpetuate that kind of violence. Like it can, it is, it is continued in Salt Lake. We've lost friends to violence at shows. So the, it's always hard when you like reminisce on those crazy early days because that is not what anybody wants happening today. And so, yeah, that's, it's just, it's a tricky one. Cause like you, like those are formative memories for me. You know, what I'm talking about anybody who grows up in hardcore knows this. Like you have these formative wild memories, but at a certain point you realize that like the energy you put into the world affects other people. And if other people mimic that type of energy and violence, you know, it, it, it breeds violence. And so, yeah, I just feel like I have to cap that off with like the reality that like it's it's the opposite of what I think we want to do with this band. Well, yeah, completely. I just want to say, I mean, I definitely have seen some violence, but like I, I would say that for me, the craziest thing I've seen is not violence. So I will share it again yeah. just to kind of make sure. It more yeah. When every time I die played here in like 2005. I, they were they were they were bigger by then so because i booked them like the first like probably 10 times they played here before they were huge but then yeah. the bigger dudes started booking them at bigger clubs so this is at like the same club that hapri would play at back then and, and, and but it, there was like a big side and a small side and they played on the small side and i knew this kid but i didn't really know his name but i had seen him at like parties and shit but he was like i don't know if you guys have seen the movie waiting like where that where the mm. kid's like yeah. being trained to be the waiter the whole time and he doesn't say anything the whole movie pretty much this was like that mm -hmm. kid's moment at the end of the movie, pretty much. Like <laughs> there were these railings like above the stage where people could watch the band, like a, like a floor above, basically. It had to have been like yeah. 15 or 20 feet above, you know, and then there was like a railing you stood in front of. And I'm just watching the kid like sizing up the crowd, like for like half their set. And I'm like, yo, this kid is really about <laughs> to fucking jump off He's this railing at some point, you know? Oh sure God. enough, he did and got a lifetime ban from the club for doing it, which sure. is probably well worth it because I'm telling this story. Yeah like 17 years later and i always forget the kid's name so you know shout out to nick lemesis who's friends with him um yeah but yeah it doesn't have you know it doesn't always have to be violence i definitely saw some crazy not probably not nearly as, as crazy as shit you saw but like when i first was getting into hardcore here there was a lot of crazy shit because it was like a lot of skinheads here and stuff and i definitely would never want to glorify any of yeah, that sure. shit you know what i mean but um you know it is what it is i guess <laughs> so i can really say yeah. about that you know yeah um, i mean like i i think it's the the thing I take away from it is like the the reality, like that those are building blocks and there's something really positive in the intensity of the late 90s and early 2000s. Um, and that intensity when it's used for good is it really makes change. Like it really builds scenes, builds communities, pushes great ideas um, and just awareness of things. Um, you know, the first time places I heard about climate change, animal rights, systematic racism, homophobia, transphobia, all that stuff was in zines in the 90s that, you know, we were like reading and writing and passing around. Um, so it's, 
that's the part that uh, of that era that like really is important for me and is what I hope we do with this band is we keep that energy of like asking questions and questioning systems alive. Is that, I guess, before we start wrapping up, that kind of makes me wonder. I don't think I've really asked that, this question. Like, is that something that's, that's pretty well received locally? Like when you guys play and when you talk about that kind of stuff or. I think so. Yeah. 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 I mean that like, there's definitely a strain of like really radical thinking in this town. Um, Part of it's probably Salt Lake where people are always looking for something to counter like the, you know, conservatism. Um, It's just like, smacks you every single corner you turn in this town in this place i mean that's Um, half the reason why like i got into i'm not trying to backtrack but yeah just like the lds church in utah salt lake they run and own everything man and and i know i'm not silent i'm not the only one that thinks this but like dan said it's just everybody's countering like in my head especially when i'm younger and i'm still kind of this way it's like I disagree and do not like the LDS church so much that I'm going to do anything to not be like them. And if I can voice that through, you know, something I love like music, then hell yeah, man. Like two birds, one stone. Like, yeah, I think I bring that up just because I, I'm pretty sure that's like 95% of people who go to shows here. That's their mentality too. It's a really good culture. I think. Yeah. Are you guys one of the states that banned abortion or no, I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet though. But... I figured it would, but there've yeah. been blocks. We have like the kind of nice thing about Salt Lake is we have like a really a really progressive core in like Salt Lake City because it's kind of that effect with Denver and other cities, like everybody kind of magnetizes. So there are some really like strong figures, um, you know, socially. But yeah, it's I, I I, I thought we would. I know Idaho has, and I've like I've seen the hardcore bands up there. Boise's got a sick scene right now. Speaking of Idaho, um, it would be cool for you to talk to somebody from. Um, well, but I've seen them doing some shows for that. It's it's funny you should mention that because again, leaving breadcrumbs out in this episode. Uh, Rejection <laughs> Pact has that album coming out. There you go. I'm gonna get one one of those dudes on. Uh, I'm gonna get him on in uh, October, like right because they have a bunch of shit coming out. You know, and I, and I told him, you know, whenever you guys have that, would be ideal time to do it. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, it's crazy. Again, going back to, I mean, I'm not, I can't, I don't want to compare Idaho to Indonesia, but like, there's just so many different like places that never like really had scenes or I never would have thought of like having yeah. all these crazy bands. And I, Idaho has like them ingrown. You know, oh, sure dude, that, I was just going to bring them up, man. That, that band is fucking wicked, dude. Yeah. Ingrown. They got witness chamber uh natural evil um matt from crow killer and a bunch of bands here in salt lake plays for them there's some like idaho salt lake crossover love literal crossover thrash love is that one of those eight hour drive cities for you guys or is that a little further probably like i don't know it's like six six or seven hours yeah Yeah. there's always there's actually always been a six scene in idaho falls our drummer drew um came up in that town which is like a college town in the middle of nowhere played in the band outlet out of there for a long time um but like to the to, to your point like you find a place where people feel oppressed and you're going to find great art like somebody in that place is raging against it and idaho is a place that yeah people got to be pissed yeah, yeah. i would be too <laughs> definitely i mean i definitely would I will be curious to see about you know like where a lot of those influences come there because 
again, it's just a place I never really thought about hardcore until recently, but now it's like hardcore is everywhere, you know? So again, full circle back to our conversation earlier about uh, the accessibility is, I I feel like the the positive definitely outweighs the negative there. I don't, I don't want to harp on, and even if people do get into hardcore to, you know, have their band out there and stuff like that, maybe that will help introduce more people to hardcore. So that's, you know, gotta be, there's gotta be some positive to that too. So I think there is. And I, and I think gateways have always been good, right? Like you get into Koyo and all of a sudden somebody's back at like silent majority and it's like, damn, I see where that came from. That's cool. You know? And and what's weird is silent majority played here like five or six times back in the day. And I was never a huge fan, but I love mm-hmm. Koyo now. So I've been meaning to one mm-hmm. day go back and revisit silent majority and all that stuff because I'm like, it's obviously something see- I'm probably like, like now, you know what I mean? It's cool roots. That's that's a fun history chasing it back because you get to like Silent Majority, you get um, obviously Kill Your Idols, but like the gla- Glass Jaw and like Sons of Abraham. Do you ever listen to Sons of Abraham? I that saw them. So like, good. I saw them once or twice because again, you know, ge- geographically we're close. That's right. They play up here a lot. They they played the last Despair show I think, and like a couple other times up here. Um, well, I, I was actually, only a kid with a CD. I never got to see them. I don't know if they, I don't think Sons of Abraham went out. I don't think Sons of Abraham even went out west. I could be wrong, but probably not. Um, but yeah, I know. Kind of starting to wrap things up. I mean, I'm again. I'm sure we could talk. You guys could introduce me to like 50 more bands uh, in the region, <laughs> and I could tell tell you more about our our city's uh, history too. But um, are there are there key things that we missed or anything like that before we do like shout outs and plugs and stuff like that? Yeah, man. It was fun. This is awesome. This is super fun. Thank you so much for having us. No, thank you. I'm glad we were able to talk about it. And I feel like I definitely learned about some new bands. And even while editing, I'll probably write some more bands down because you mentioned so many uh, during the <laughs> conversation, Dan. So um, again, with that in mind, I guess uh, if you guys want to give any shout outs or, or you know, plugs with uh, like the band information and stuff like that. Chase, is there anything you want to say? Uh, no, I think we've covered it, man. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, we'll, We've got Love Pain out right now on all the streaming spots. Two songs recorded by Nick Karshner there at Grotto Audio. Uh, we'll have more of those singles coming out real soon. Um, if you're in Salt Lake, catch us with Ignite, Seven Daggers, and Violent Unrest. I don't know if this will be out by then, so that might not matter. Um, and yeah, if you want to get into all those Salt Lake bands, go to Ill Will Zine on Instagram. You'll find a list of all of them. It's literally the coolest time of all time. I don't th- even think I mentioned Despite Despair, who've been doing it for so long and are super important. Listen to Despite Despair. That's my shout out. Yeah, definitely one of Listen my favorites. Despite like Despair. Fans. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll make sure to link, uh, obviously, you, you know, all the band information and the Ill Will Zine stuff in the show notes so people can check out more uh, Salt Lake City stuff. Um, but yeah, I guess that's probably going to wrap up the episode. Um, I want to thank uh, Dan and Chase for taking the time to do the interview. Um, as always, thanks to Rob Antonucci, Greg Benoit, Jim Byrne uh, for helping out with the podcast, uh, my family for the support and for giving me the space to do this. Uh, another episode coming out in a couple of days, uh, making our march towards 100. Uh, see everybody real soon and stay safe. Cool. Thanks, man.